0: So here is the big question. How do entrepreneurs like us who started sales or direct selling or network marketing, how did we start our journey but now feel stuck, feel like we're struggling or we can't level up to where we want to be, where we know we can be? How do we break through and prove everybody wrong? Show ourselves that we are successful and show ourselves that we can win. That is the big question. And this is the podcast that will give you the answers. My name is Lisa Hawker, and this is Direct AF Sales. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on Direct AF today. I've been looking forward to this for a while, as you know. Um, and I wanted you to talk to the direct day Off audience because of your background and your brilliance. You are not just absolutely gorgeous to look at. You're even better to listen to. You are a mental performance coach, which I, um, I had never met a mental performance coach until you and I met in Montana. And you're a speaker. You're a public speaker, and you are booked solid right now, right? So prior to opening your own company, your consulting practice, you had the prestigious job of serving as a mental conditioning coordinator for the New York Yankees. Incredible. You earned your master's degree in performance psychology, which I think I'm going to introduce my son into, by the way. Awesome. (laughs) From National University. You literally help elite individuals, business owners, athletes develop that mental toughness that you talk about a lot um, so that they can perform at their highest level, regardless of the circumstances going on around them. How did you get involved in this?
1: Oh, man. Well, first of all, I am so excited to be here. We have discussed this for a while. And so I'm just, I'm really excited, you know, to be on your podcast and have this conversation with you. But man, uh, you know, I got into sports psychology. Actually, it was kind of, I kind of ran into it on accident. Um, but it was <laughs> one of those accidents that, uh, you know, was not just a coincidence. It was actually my senior year of college. Third game into my senior year, I received my fifth concussion and was told I was, it was no longer safe for me to play. And so what I went. What were you we playing? Oh, soccer. And uh, and I, I mean, soccer was my life. Soccer was my identity. If you asked me, "How are you?" first, I'd tell you how soccer was, and then I'd tell you everything else.
0: When did you yeah. start
1: playing? I started playing when I was five years old.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you playing. played continuously from the time you were five until college.
1: Yes, all the wow. way. All the way through college, and. So, yeah, it was a part I've never, I really don't know a day where soccer wasn't a part of my life to some degree. And it was something I loved. I was so, it was equally challenging and of a release at the same time. Like I could, when I was on the soccer field, it didn't matter who you were. Um, you know, you show up and everybody's treated the same. And so I, I think that's why I loved it so much. And so fast forward to my senior year, and I now this thing that I've loved so much and I've known my entire life has been kind of taken away from me. And it was a really hard reality to come to terms with. And I, even though I'm still part of the team, I still showed up to practices. I still went to the games. Even though I wasn't playing, I just had a new role on the bench. I decided, you know, I have some extra time on my hands. You know, why don't I take an elective course? So I ended up taking an elective course in sport and performance psychology. And I fell completely in love with it. And so it was actually in that moment that I realized, you know, what kind of athlete or person would I have been if I would have known these things? And then I thought, what, how many people can I help now that I do? And so I really fell in love with it because I was the athlete that needed it.
0: So I'm going to, I'm going to back you up for a second. You said this was your senior year in college and you are it was at the beginning of the year, the end of the year, middle of the year, middle of the year, because you had time to take your elective.
1: Uh, yes, kind of. So it was uh, it, it was actually the our, we had, our season was in the winter. So it was right when the beginning of the school year was happening. So and the
0: reason I'm asking you this is because, you know, if you put yourself back there, you had been playing so long. You were super talented. You probably were getting offers for pro sports offers from other countries. Um, but all of a sudden you are told by somebody that you can't play soccer anymore and, and you have no idea probably what you're interested in outside of that. If I'm right.
1: Absolutely. And I'll be honest with you. Um, it was terrifying. I, I did have a couple offers overseas and and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't I, would, I wasn't good enough to be like on the women's national team or anything like that. But I did want to have the experience of traveling and doing the thing that I loved. And so to have that taken away uh, was hard. But I, I he, my neurologist said something to me that actually helped make the decision. And he said, Lauren, do you want to remember your name at 40? And, well, I mean, it like hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, uh, yeah, I mean, I've never thought of not remembering my name at 40. He said then it's not safe for you to continue because I can't guarantee your next concussion won't be permanent.
0: And and that's one thing to hear that. But when you wake up alone without your neurologist and without your team and without a plan B, it takes a lot to figure out the next step. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, athletes, people in general, no matter what your title is, When you're headed down a particular path and all of a sudden that's stripped away from you, it's, it's hard. It's hard to put one foot in front of the other, but you found yourself in this area that you started
1: to enjoy. What happened? You know, when I I realized the reason why I love sport and performance psychology so much is because I was the athlete that needed it. I was the person that needed it. I felt like I had to be perfect or I, I, had to, you know, show up and be my best every single day. And I just realized that actually what, what better, I think what we think better means is better results, no mistakes, like number one, being the best. But what better actually means is getting back up after failure, not being afraid to make mistakes or be brave enough to try something that you suck at. What it actually means is showing up when you don't feel like it. What it actually means is showing up imperfect. It's all of those things that actually gets you to the success. That's what better actually means. And once I realized that, I realized how hard I was on myself and how actually I was the thing holding me back from becoming the best version of me. Speaking of, my cat says the same thing. She agrees.
0: Oh, my gosh. I want to talk to you about what definitions of success and definitions of failure look like. Mm -hmm. You know, when people um, I'm in network marketing, that's one of the things that I do um, with my time and to earn money. And um, what I see a lot is um, people starting, and they're excited to start. And they do the things that they're supposed to do to generate income. And they don't see success in a week or a day or a month, or they don't see the success that they want, where they're not seeing success, how they define it. What do you have to say about those definitions and the timeline of success?
1: Well, I think one of the, one of the best ways to gain success is to stick with something long enough to see it. And so when you hear often hear the buzzword thrown around, which is, you know, you have to be consistent. And the truth is that there is no shortcut. That consistency is what is required oftentimes to see that result. And the problem with that though is that consistency isn't very motivating. Waking up and doing the same thing time and time again and not seeing the result that you want is not very motivating. And so one way that we can help us to, and and I wouldn't say motivation, motivation is like a, is like a power plant. Power plants don't have energy, they generate it. And so oftentimes motivation becomes generated after we take action. And so in order to take action, though, we have to define what success looks like in those actions. So what a great way to do this is to define the difference between the things within your control and the things outside of it. Success and outcomes oftentimes are a mix between things you can and cannot control. A mix between your action and then the circumstances. A mix between the person making the decision. Maybe it's a a judge. Maybe it's somebody giving you playing time, whatever that is, and your ability to take action. And so a lot of times we focus on the other thing, our control. And so my question is, what are those things within your control, number one? And number two, let's redefine success within it. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I was working with a hitter at the Yankees and he was, uh, he was really struggling. He was, uh, he was in a, he was in a slump and he was over 15 and he ended up, he came up to me. He's like, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything and I'm just not getting, I can't get a hit. And I asked him, I said, okay, so let's pretend. I said, what is your definition of success? He's like getting a hit. I said, okay, great. What are all the things, let's pretend getting a hit could not be your definition of success. What are all the things within your control that if you did these things up until you made contact with the ball, that that would equal success? Meaning you did your job. There's nothing more you could have done. And he's like, okay. He goes, um, it would be being on time. Swinging at the right pitch, and I said, having an external focus. So not paying so much attention to, you know, all my mechanics, just focusing on where I want to hit the ball. I said great. I said, now, if you do those three things, that is your new definition of success. Because I said, have you done those three things and have you not gotten a hit? He's like, yes. And I said, and have you done, not done any of those three things and gotten a hit? He says, yes. He said, good results are not always the result of good things and bad results are not always the result of bad things. I want you to focus on the quality of what you do, not simply the result of it. And so as he did that, as he started focusing on the things he could control, the results started taking care of themselves. He wasn't so focused outside of him. He wasn't too far in front. He wasn't focusing too much on the future or the outcome that he wanted. He was focusing on what he could control. And that became his new definition of success. And oftentimes that helps us to become successful on the other side.
0: It's brilliant, it helps us redefining success so that um, you can achieve it when the, the way, the path to achieve it is within your control. So if the definition of success, let's say in sales, is to, hurt, is to hit a certain volume in sales, right? You can't force a customer to purchase. You can't control whether or not somebody decides to join your team or decides to book a speaking event um, or decides to whatever. You get my point. So if you focus on what is in your control, your whole definition of success, your whole definition of confidence changes. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Why the why are we not teaching this in school? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a, and you know what, you know what it shows up as? It shows up as whether you're in business, whether you're in sports, whether it's just, you know, you you how you show up in your goals. It shows up as the difference between playing to playing not to lose versus playing to win. When The thing is about both of them is playing to win and playing not to lose. They both have one goal in common. They both want to win. The difference is one performs from a place of power while the other performs from a place of fear. When we are playing not to lose, we are, we are afraid to make mistakes. We are hesitant. We hold back. We are reactive. We are driven by fear or when we're playing to win, we know that mistakes are a part of the process. We aren't aff- we we, we may be afraid, but we still are willing to take risk. And we play proactively, not reactively. And so what this does in terms of where you're placing your control and where you're where you're ultimately placing your focus is it helps you perform in a way that you're performing from a place of power and playing to win versus performing from a place of fear and playing not to lose.
0: So good. So good. You know, I talk a lot about, um, mindset motivation, um, you and discipline and the difference between, um, having a mindset where you're attacking Mm -hmm. your task in front of you from a place of discipline versus a place of motivation. I know you talk a lot about that and you just said earlier that motivation was like a power plant. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit more? Cause I think, I think the listeners would really love for you to dig into this a bit.
1: Yeah. Um, the fact is, is that most days we don't wake up and go today I'm going to be average, but how many times do our days reflect that average actions, average habits, average choices. And many times we're waiting for this motivation. And the thing is, if you are waiting to feel like it, you are going to be waiting a long time. Motivation oftentimes precedes action. And so when you take action, many times that's when the motivation shows up is after you've already taken action. And so We have to learn to be disciplined. And I understand that that's very easy for me to sit here and say and throw these words out. And so I understand that it's not as easy as it sounds. And when people when people ask me, like, what advice do you have? I'm like, well, it's simple. But it sure as heck ain't easy because knowing what to do is often not enough. My my guarantee is that some of you listening here, you know what to do your problem is not the fact that you don't know what to do, but you're sitting around waiting for things to happen for you or waiting to feel motivated or waiting to feel motivated. Yeah, exactly. And if you are, if your actions are dependent on how you feel, you will always fall victim to them. The truth is you don't have to feel good to show up. You don't have to feel confident to look confident. You don't have to have motivation to execute. Feelings are just a data point. They're not a requirement.
0: What would you say to somebody who says, well, how? I'm not a robot, right? I can't just eliminate my feelings. What do you mean that if your actions are dependent upon your how you feel, you're going to be waiting around forever? I mean, I I write about this in my book. And I have come up against a lot of people who feel like, well, that's robotic. That's, that's not how pe- normal people operate.
1: But I think... No, yeah. i sorry. You just said something so good. You said that's not how normal people operate. You're right. And the thing is, is I don't work with people who want to be normal, who want to be average. I work with people who want to be elite. You don't become elite by chance. You become elite by choice. So you have to make the choice. That you want to become something more than what you are currently. That you want to do something better than you've already done. And I'm not saying it's not easy. And I'm not saying you won't have days where you fail at it. I have days where I fail at it, where I wake up and I actually, I succumb to my excuses. I've had those days before. But I'll tell you right now, the average does not lean towards me falling into that. What it does is it leans towards the other because I have practiced and exercised that part of my brain. And so if you want better, you have to repeat better. And oftentimes, there are people that aren't going to want to repeat better. And that's okay. But don't be upset by the results you get from the work you didn't do.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, in between you getting your job with the Yankees and graduating from graduate school with your degree, Mm -hmm. where were you working?
1: This is a great story. So I graduated from my master's program. And so here, this is a great example. So for just saying for, hey, you know, there's, you won't feel like it. It's not that I don't succumb to that. This is a great story of a time when I fell into my, I fell into those traps. And I graduated from my master's program and I had two job offers, which is a grad student's dream. I was on cloud nine and I took some time to figure out which one I wanted. Turned down one, took the other. But the thing about the one that I took was that it was going to take six months to be placed, which was very normal for this position. So I thought, you know what? That's fine. I'll get an extended summer. Like, let's do this. That's fine. So six months goes by and I don't hear anything. And I thought that was weird. So I reached out and I said, like, hey, just checking to see when I should be expecting to be placed. And then I get this email back and they said we're sorry but the job is no longer available. And so here I went I went from 6 months ago being on cloud nine having options and then 6 months later having none because the one before it they filled the position I couldn't go back to that. So I was devastated. And I reached out to everybody that I knew in the field. And everybody kept telling me the same thing, Lauren, You need experience. And I was so frustrated because I'm like, I'm trying, but I'm not getting the opportunities. And so I realized, well, I need to, I need to do something in the meantime. And so I decided to get a job at Starbucks. So I started working at Starbucks and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. But it was this one particular day that changed everything. I'm working in the drive-thru and when you work on the drive through your job is to entertain the customer as their drink is being made. And so I'm chatting it up with this customer and he asked me, he said, so are you in school? Which was a fair question. Most people were. But I said, no, actually, I just finished. And he said, great. What did you get your degree in? And I proudly told him performance psychology. And he just started laughing. Like full on. Belly laughing, where I, finally, I was so confused, I finally had to ask him, "What's so funny?" And he goes, "Oh, you got one of those degrees you'll never use." And my jaw just opened. <laughs> I <laughs> couldn't believe he just said this. To me. And I was so upset, Lisa, that I had to walk away. I was like, "I can't hand him his drink." So somebody else handed him his drink. And it got worse throughout the day. My,
0: I mean, did your mouth just drop open? I mean, what kind of restraint? Honestly, I think I would have been like, "Fuck you!" Oh, <laughs> okay.
1: that's, that's so unbelievably rude. It took every like muscle in my body not to climb through that window. But I, the it got worse though. Like that moment was bad, but it got worse. It's just like, I kept ruminating on this event and I kept replaying it again and again again in my head. And, and then finally I got mad because I was mad because I was like, this guy doesn't matter, Lauren. Why are you giving this guy so much, like so much power over how you feel? And that's when I had this light bulb moment. And I realized I'm not mad because he was rude. I'm mad because partially what he says is right. Here I am mm. with a master's degree, wow, working at Starbucks, and just because my first opportunity fell through, I decided to sit around and wait for another one to come to me. But very few things, very few good things in life, come from waiting. Right. And so I realized in that moment that I had to do something about this. That I couldn't sit around and wait any longer. I couldn't go hide behind working at Starbucks. But if I wanted to become an incredible mental performance coach, somebody that is able to help people push through their adversities and their failures and their struggles, I had to take my own advice. And so it was that day that I Googled how to start your own company. And I started my own consulting company. And I worked really hard. I sent several emails out and called people every single day just to get my name out there. I was doing a ton of things for free. I got a lot of people ignored my calls. Every once in a while, I get a yes. And I ended up building up a resume that was good enough to work for a professional team. And after a year's time of just grinding it out, I got an opportunity to interview with the Yankees. And that's when I got the job.
0: Wow, that's incredible. You put a lot of different hats on. You created a consulting company. You created your own opportunity and you created your own path. It's amazing.
1: Yes. And oftentimes you have to. Oftentimes we create these fancy reasons that are really excuses in disguise as to why we can't take action. And I had this idea that taking action was getting the job of my dreams. And taking action was submitting a resume. But the thing is, is I didn't have experience. And so no resume of mine was ready for the job I really wanted. And so if I wasn't going to get an opportunity, I had to create it. And so I had to stop dropping the excuses because I didn't want to go out and do this thing. I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I didn't want to be rejected a million times. And I worked at Starbucks. But when you don't do anything and you wait, you get nothing in return. And so it wasn't until I started taking that action. I started letting go of the excuses and hell yeah, I was scared. Hell yeah, I was afraid. Hell yeah, I hated the rejection. It hurt. There were were days that it often created tears. Yeah. But it was those experiences. Talk about like what the real definition of better is. That's what it is. If you want to be better, that's the real definition of it.
0: Yeah. Well, what you did was... You changed your definition of success, like we were just talking about, and you did what was within your control. And what was within your control was to create an opportunity. And, you know, you were probably, what, 25, 26 this time? Yep. And so not only did you have this one massive life blow, this massive disappointment, and had to completely rewrite your identity, it happened to you a second time. I mean, who gets out? of school and has two job offers. I mean, you must have felt like you were the shit, you know, like walking around. I mean, honestly, of course you did. Anybody would have. It was a normal emotion. You're like, "I am a badass. I got not one and it was your dream job, right?" And it
1: wasn't my dream job, but it was I knew it was the best job I could get with the with the experience I had. So it was the it was the next best thing. And then the, the step up from that was my dream job, which was the Yankees. And so, so you were on your path. Yeah. So it was on my path and it was that next point. And so that's why it was so devastating when I didn't get it. But the thing is, when I created my next point, it actually got me to my dream job probably faster than it would have if I had actually taken that job originally.
0: Did anybody help you realize that? the douchebag in the drive through at Starbucks was an angel and a blessing in disguise.
1: Um, you know, that's something that I had gotten actually early on in life. I had learned how to create meaning in a really bad situation. And so when I realized that he was right, I was thankful. But I I had exercised that muscle earlier on in my life when my best friend committed suicide. And it was the hardest thing I'd ever been through. How old were you? 15. What happened? She shot herself. Did you ever know why? She ended up writing some letters and she was really depressed and she felt it was her best option. And I became suicidal myself. I was incredibly depressed. And it wasn't until I really went, like, did the work. I went to therapy and I came out on the other side of it. And even though I would do anything to go back and change what happened, and I would do anything to have her back here with me and all of our friends and family, I can look back and say... I'm thankful for what it taught me because it made me who I am today. And when I looked at this situation, <laughs> this didn't hold a candle to that. So when I finally realized what was really hot, the story behind the story or the truth behind the story, it was very easy for me to see what a blessing this was. Wow. Wow.
0: That is really, really hard. I didn't, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's really, really hard. I'm sure that you had not only a great therapist, but great support from your family.
1: I did. I was very lucky. Yeah. Oh.
0: So to to go back to your path, um, you have a great story that I love when you tell. And it's when you talk about blindsided by life. And um, it wasn't this story about your friend who, you know, tragically killed herself at such a young age. It's so awful. Um, I have two 15-year-old sons and it's just horrific to think about this. Um, at any age though, really when somebody, you know, takes their own life because either a mental illness or desperation. It's horrific. Not just when somebody's a teenager or a young adult. This blindsided you, but I wanted to have you talk about the story when you're driving with your mom. You mean blindsided?
1: Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So this is actually, hey, I was around the same age. Actually, I was around, I was 16 and I had just gotten my learner's permit. And I am in the car with my mom, and usually the way it looked, just to paint a picture, we were in her 2001 Toyota Sequoia, and she's sitting in the front seat like sweating bullets. And I'm like, mom, calm down. I got this. And so we're on the freeway, and we're practicing, and I am about to get into the right lane, and I'm going to exit the freeway. And I do everything right. I check all my mirrors and then I turn on my blinker and I start to merge. And that's when I get greeted with this woman laying on her horn. And it scared not only me, but of course my mom is like, what are you doing? (laughs) So it was chaos. And that was the first time I learned about blind spots. And so often in our lives, we have these, right? It's those areas that we know are there, but we don't have a good vision of. We can't really see. And so the thing about blind spots is that sometimes it just takes a new vantage point. Somebody outside, probably the car behind me, saw it all unfolding the way it was happening. And sometimes we don't see it until that horn gets laid on. So we all have blind spots in our lives. We all have those spots that we can't see very well. And sometimes those can be the things that are holding us back from really becoming an elite version of us. And so one way that we can learn about our blind spots is to not only step back and look ourselves, but the thing about blind spots is oftentimes we can't see them. And so a really good exercise is for anybody listening is to pause this And go call somebody that you trust and ask them what are some of your blind spots and don't call your mom. (laughs) (laughs) You're perfect angel. (laughs) Exactly. That's what my mom would say. And I've done this exercise myself and I knew I couldn't call my mother because she'd be like, Lauren, I just don't know. You're just perfect. Oh my God. We all know that's not true. So call somebody that you love and that you trust. You trust. And, And this is how you do it because there are not all of us are very good at taking feedback and it hurts sometimes. And so it's important to that. When you do ask this person that you tell them that you want honesty and that you sit down and you take notes to show that you are listening to what they have to say and you don't defend. You don't try and justify just listen. And even if you don't agree with what they have to say, Tell them, thank you. Thank you for providing me honest feedback. And that's one way that we can really start to learn about our blind spots.
0: And hearing that raw, honest truth is difficult. Um, Facing challenges like the ones you faced, even just facing your fear and picking up the phone and calling a potential client when you had your own consulting business or in my work, you know, seeing if somebody wants what you have to offer your product or service in network marketing, um, or any sales business, um, it takes mental toughness. Anything I think in life worth pursuing, including your health, um, mental and physical and emotional, takes mental toughness. How do you define mental toughness? And how do you suggest that the audience starts to create mental toughness?
1: I think mental toughness is actually, uh, you know, one of those words, and you'll hear me say it for sure. But I think it's one of those words that can be misinterpreted. I think a lot of people believe that mental toughness is ignoring your weaknesses, like not making mistakes and just pushing through, and that is just not true. Mental toughness is learning how to process how you think and feel in a way that maintains a high level of performance. It's not lying to yourself. It's often being willing to look at, look at yourself in the mirror. And one of the ways that we can do this, and there are many ways that you can build mental toughness, but one of them, one of the ways that we can exercise them is doing something that's just slightly outside of your comfort zone, slightly uncomfortable because our brain is wired for comfort. And sometimes it tunes in and tries to protect us when we don't need protecting. And so one way that we can actually build mental toughness is leaning into discomfort and the kind of discomfort that, you know, is good for you. That thing you've been putting off that thing that you've allowed fear to control your decision-making that thing that is just slightly scary. That vision that you've always had that goal that you've, you've, up until this point has believed is that can be, is impossible. Those are the things I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about taking these big grandiose steps. That's often not how we develop success. It's actually these small, tiny steps taken on a daily basis and stringing together these wins day after day. And so my question to you is what is one thing just slightly outside of your comfort zone that you know is good for you that you can do today? Because as you do that, you begin to develop that mental toughness. And you begin to develop a relationship with discomfort. And instead of running from it, you'll be able to lean into it. It
0: goes back exactly to what you were talking about earlier and to um, to the concept that when you take action first, it can be taking action while you're afraid. It can be taking imperfect action that makes you feel foolish. You can even look foolish, but it's action and it's forward action and it's moving in the right direction. And um, you told yourself you were going to do it and you did it. And so you can begin to trust yourself. And when you can trust yourself, your confidence grows. Whether that action results in a yes, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because you're developing your confidence, your belief in yourself, your mindset, your discipline, not relying on motivation, all the things we talked about, it all comes from just taking that one action.
1: Yep, that's right. And you said something really important there, that the way that you build trust with yourself is the same way you build trust with others, which is keeping the promises that you made to yourself. And so every time you say you're going to do something and you don't, you actually injure that relationship with you. Now you look at yourself as unreliable, untrustworthy. And what does that do to our confidence? That's right. It decreases it entirely. And so (laughs) if you want to start developing confidence and trust with yourself, you have to keep the promises that you made. And so my best advice to that is to start small, to start small and be flexible in your approach because it's not always going to be perfect and it's going to be ugly before it's awesome. But I promise you that it will be worth it.
0: That is a meme right there that I need to put. It's going to be ugly before it's going
1: to be awesome. That's so true. And, it, and- I didn't up with that. I heard that from <laughs> my good friend, Brian, and I love it. It is. Stuck I love it. Yes, it is amazing.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's so true. And, you know, we've talked about the dice. I remember showing you the dice that I created for sales when I was in Montana with you. And, and what you're talking about is exactly why I created them. It's just two things a day and you yeah. don't know what it's going to be that day. so you have to, you, yeah, it just ties all back into what we were talking about. And, and the truth of it is, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're almost out of time, but um, when you trust yourself and you show up for yourself, whatever that looks like for you and you begin to grow that confidence all of a sudden, what Sally Ann down the street or on, you know, Susie Q on Facebook thinks of what you're doing or what you're saying. It starts to kind
1: of take back seat. Have you experienced that? Yes. You know, it's interesting. The loudest voices are often come from people on the sidelines. And when you're in the game, you learn to tune them out because the only people that matter are the other people on the field with you. And I can, I can speak to that from my experience in soccer. You know, there are parents that are screaming on the sidelines, like, come on, let's go you know, and people or other teams and all of that. And you just learn that that's not the important thing that you need to think about. That's not going to help you perform. What's going to help you is to focus on you and to focus on that next play and so, yeah, I have totally experienced that. When you get in the action, you stop paying attention to the sidelines and you start paying attention to the next five. And a good question to ask yourself when it comes to, you know, I have some people that go, okay, but, but Lauren, like, what's the point? Like that's that seems so small. What is that going to change? And my question to people always is, what is it costing you right now? What does it cost you to not take action? What does it cost you to not change? What does it cost you to not show up for yourself? What are those things costing you? And what would happen if you started paying for those things and you started doing the work and you started showing up and you'd be, you'd be surprised at some of the answers to these things. And I have them myself and I have to ask myself the same thing. It's like, Lauren, what does it cost you not taking action? And what would you gain if you did?
0: And look at what you did gain. I mean, look at the action that you took right after the Starbucks guy said that to you. And and look at where you are now. And Yeah, it's just your story is just incredible. And I've gotten chills three distinct times since I've been talking with you. And I'm sure that that the audience has as well. I mean, you're just so easy to have a conversation with and to listen to. And you're so relatable. And I think that's one of the big reasons um, that you're growing so quickly. And your success is so big right now. Um, I'm thrilled for you. I am. Where can people find you, um, for your coaching for, um, for all of the things, Lauren, wonderful Lauren,
1: <laughs> for all of the things, the easiest way to connect with me would be to go to my website and it has all my social media handles on there. Um, they're all different. So that's why that's the easiest place to go. <laughs> and my website is Lauren and And that's all spelled out. Lauren Johnson, a N D C O.com.
0: Okay, and it'll be in the show notes as well. But don't hang up yet on the show because I'm not totally done. Do I have you for maybe three more minutes? One more question. No. Okay, great. A big thing that um, a lot of people struggle with is mindset. Getting their mindset in the right place, and and the whole show has sort of been about mindset because it all comes back to it. If you had one, you know, piece of a actionable advice or or advice that somebody could take an actionable step, where would you direct somebody who struggles with an up and down mindset or an in and out? I'm in, I'm out, I'm in and out. I start my business. I stop my business.
1: What I would want to exercise would be consistency. And so I would start with something really small. I would choose one small thing. What is one small thing that you can do right now and that you can do again tomorrow? and again the next day. And I'd want you to track it. See how many you can get in a row. Because when you start showing up for you, you're gonna be amazed at what you can do. But if you don't exercise your ability to show up, it's going to be difficult. And so the only other piece of advice I'd give when doing this is once you choose your one thing, would be the difference between consistency over intensity. A lot of times we say, okay, I want to go to the, if you're, if you're listening, you'd say, okay, I want to go to the gym one hour a day, five days a week. Okay. Well, my question would be, what are you currently doing? Oftentimes when I have this, the answer is like, well, I'm not going at all, or maybe I'm going once and whatever that is. What I would want you to have, I don't think it's not that I don't want you to have a big goal that I don't want you to have the goal of going to the gym for an hour. That's okay. But my question would be is what about when adversity strikes? What about when circumstances aren't ideal? Maybe you can't go to the gym for an hour. Maybe something came up in your kid's schedule and it had to change and you can't do that. You have to go pick them up now instead of going to the gym. Whatever the circumstance is, I still want you to show up somehow. Maybe. And so I call this lowest common denominator. What is the lowest common denominator that you can do that will still allow you to show up for you? Maybe not the way you wanted to, but to show up. And so, for somebody that maybe wanted to go to the gym for an hour but doesn't have that time anymore, maybe for them, that's doing three sets of 10 push ups at home. Maybe that's running around the block once. Maybe it's still going to the gym, but only going there for 10 or 15 minutes. What you're doing is you're, you're practicing the act of showing up and you're remaining consistent by lowering your intensity. And so on those days when things get tough, instead of of focusing on intensity, I want you to focus on consistency.
0: For more information on the Direct AF Sales book or custom dice course or workbook, go on over to directafsales.com. There's going to be a discount code for all the listeners there. It's code directaf twenty and grab yours today. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please leave me a review. Make sure you subscribe, and even better, share it with a friend so that we can share our message and our content and help as many people as we can.
1: Thanks, guys.